ESPN Radio. Are you more or less optimistic that we're going to get a deal done and there's actually going to be a baseball season? Chris Carlin, Chris Canty, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and on your smart speaker, we are presented, as always, by Progressive Insurance. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, your Canty call-in line. That question and more, and that's where we're starting with Rob Manfred about 24 hours ago now, making the statement that there would not be uh, baseball for at least the first two series of the year because they were unable to reach a deal. Let's go back 24 hours to his press conference and hear exactly how Manfred phrased the cancellation of early games this year. I had hoped against hope that I would not have to have this particular press conference um, in which I am going to cancel some regular season games. We worked hard to avoid an outcome that's bad for our fans, bad for our players, and bad for our clubs. I want to assure our fans that our failure to reach an agreement was not due to a lack of effort by either party. The players came here for nine days. They worked hard. They tried to make a deal, and I appreciate their effort. Our committee of club representatives committed to the process. They offered compromise after compromise and hung in past the deadline to make sure that we exhausted every possibility of reaching an agreement before the cancellation of games. Chris, there's going to be a season this year. It's just going to be shortened. It's going to be... I, I, I have always believed that they would miss a month of games. And I, I reached out to some players yesterday after Manfred made the announcement, and none of them were surprised that any of this happened because they fully expected to be painted as the bad guys all along, and that's exactly what happened. And now you have a situation where baseball can miss 20 games and still get all of their money from TV, all of their money from TV. They're going to try to squeeze the union as much as possible to get the best deal possible, and they don't mind missing games in their least profitable month of the year. Yeah, Carlin, here's the part that gets me about what Manfred said. He said he hoped against hope that he wouldn't have to make this address to the media in which he announced that he was canceling game, all the while knowing that the lockout was an action that was initiated by the owners against the players. This is the road that they decided to go down to have a 90-day lockout against the players that could jeopardize the start of the season. And now we know at least the first two series of the season are going to be canceled, and you're probably talking about significantly more than that. But as you mentioned before, the month of April is the least profitable month for MLB owners. They don't mind missing April because you don't have a whole bunch of fans in the stands and all of that stuff. And then, of course, the regional network deals, the television deals, they still have the opportunity to be able to get the full, the full you know portion of that, um, so to speak. And so I, I don't necessarily know that they operated with the same level of urgency that the players did. I think they're going to see how long the players can hold out, and they're betting that billionaires can hold out a lot longer than a few millionaires and a bunch of thousandaires. And usually in labor disputes between players and owners, they're absolutely right. But I thought Tony Clark did a good job of framing what's actually happening. He said 
the lockout is the ultimate weapon in uh, economic. Um, uh, he's, it's the ultimate economic weapon in a ten billion dollar industry. The owners have chosen to use that weapon against their great their greatest asset, which is the players. That's what's going on right now, and that's what fans have to understand. It's not that the players are being greedy. It's that the owners want a larger portion of the profits, especially knowing that the owners are on the verge of getting playoff expansion improved, improved and that being a nine-figure boon for the league overall that the players don't necessarily seem in line to get their fair share of. So I got an issue with Rob Manfred. I think the fans have an issue with Rob Manfred, but ultimately he's only doing the owner's bidding. And at this point, I think both sides have to recognize that they're jeopardizing the health of the sport. Yeah, and and it's not about you and me. You and I are baseball fans. Yeah, they got us. We'll be there. Yeah. It's about the 20-year-old. It's about the the 15-year-old. And it's about those guys that now, uh, come April, will have no distraction from the NBA playoffs, will have no distraction uh, from anything else, to really have any reason to go to a game or to watch a game. Not that they do already. Most of them are taking it in on TikTok and on highlights and such. I get all of that. But they don't seem to understand that when you talk about we are trying to give the fans what they want. No, you're not. Stop. Stop. No fans screamed, we have to have more teams in the playoffs. No yeah. fans screamed that. Because all that is is watering down the postseason in exchange for money. I get it. I understand it. And it's going to happen. We NBA, as many playoff teams as they have. NHL, is as many playoff teams as they had for a long time. Totally get it. There are sometimes bad teams that end up going on a Stanley Cup run. It happens. It's not great for the sport. I, I, I get bothered when you're trying to sell this notion that, um, and, and, and it's so cute for Rob Manfred to play Mr. Nice Guy. The players came here. They tried hard. But, you know, we just couldn't make a deal. Stop it. It's just the whole way that it comes across is so condescending to the fan and... The fans are the ones that, that, you know, it really does a lot of damage to. The players, hopefully, you know, they say that they are prepared to sit out for a while. Of course, I'd say this. If we are sitting here on May 15th and we don't have baseball yet, something has gone horribly wrong. Something has really gone horribly wrong at that point. Then I will venture to guess that the owner's underestimated the player's resolve. Yes. And if that's the case, the owners have nobody to blame but themselves. Because you, you put it in this situation. You locked them out. And and uh, stop with the idea that this was a defensive lockout. It that, wasn't. That, stop. Uh, yeah, yeah. They go back to the idea, well, they, we were playing in 94, and then they went on strike because we didn't have a CBA. and So we're just protecting ourselves from that. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And as a player that's lived through a lockout, I can tell you when owners do that, they're betting that the union doesn't have the resolve, the players don't have the resolve to see it through and miss a substantial portion of the season, if not all of the season's worth of checks. Guys don't plan ahead financially typically in that way. But when you're talking about something that we saw coming, going back to the 2020 conversations about how to deal with the pandemic-shortened season, we knew that that was a precursor for what was going to happen this summer. We knew as ugly as it got two summers ago 
that we could be headed down this road, a knockdown, dragout fight between the players and the owners. And so I do think that Tony Clark and the union are prepared. The executive committee, I think those guys are ready for what's to come. And it's not going to be a resolution in any immediacy. I think this is going to go well into the spring and potentially into the summer, CC. I, I, I don't know that we're talking about this thing getting resolved in March or April. So you are less optimistic that we're going to have – I mean, if I ask you right now, how many games are they playing this year, what's that number in your head? I would probably say you're looking at them playing half a season. Wow. I think that I think that's how far down the line we've gone because, again – when we talked to Bob Nightingale earlier, uh, MLB writer from USA Today, one of the things that he mentioned was the fact that the sticking point between the players and the owners is the games that are being missed early on, the players aren't going to get paid for. And that's going to be an issue for the players because this is not a situation, a dynamic that they created. They didn't go on strike. The owners locked them out. Now, if the owners had allowed the players to be preemptive and take that approach of striking, then that changes public sentiment. But I think all the baseball fans have to recognize this situation is the owner's doing. Now, it's not to say that the relationship between the two sides hasn't been adversarial because it has, but we knew that we were getting to this place where they had to work out some kind of CBA. And the fact that we're missing the first two series of the season, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to blame both sides, blame both sides. This is what it all boils down to for me, Chris. You have, the over the last 10 years, revenues in baseball have gone up 40%. And yet somehow over the last four years, the average salary of a baseball player has gone down each year. That is the biggest single number combination to me in this whole thing to tell you who's at fault. Yeah. That's it. That's what it comes down to. The players should be able to share in the growth of the game just like the owners do, but that's not the case. Every day is game day with Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of the NCAA. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Up next, if the Cardinals are willing to listen to trade offers for Kyler Murray, would he be the best quarterback available this offseason not named Aaron Rodgers? We discuss, plus... Your calls at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776 on the Canty call-in line. Should the Cardinals give Kyler Murray the long-term deal? It's all on the way. Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Kyler Murray wants the bag. Cardinals don't sound like they want to give it to him quite yet. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. 3776. Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. And we saw the statement that the agent of Kyler Murray put out about the Cardinals and about wanting to get a, a long-term contract and, you know, what their commitment level is. And then we start to hear whispers from the Cardinals about, you know, is he really the leader that we want him to be? Is he the guy that is more last into the building, first guy out? Is he really going to be our leader for the long term? (laughs) Yet, you just look at the results of the last few years, and the win total continues to go up and up and up. And yet, here we are, right now, with Steve Keim, the Cardinals general manager, getting an extension, with Cliff Kingsbury getting a contract extension, 
But Kyler Murray doesn't have a contract extension. Here's Kime earlier today at the press conference at the GM and coaches, uh, GMs and coaches have out at the combine on concerns of Kyler not playing for Arizona. I have not talked to them in a few days, uh, but there's always been current dialogue. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, is in regards to the statement, I know everybody's seen that. Um, I think it's an agent doing his job. Are you concerned at all if a contract doesn't get done this offseason, the repercussions it might have on the player going forward? No. No reason to believe that he would play this season if he didn't have any No. Look, you know, this time, <laughs> that doesn't sound, you know what? It's not it, what you want. No, but you know what I'm saying? It sounds, CC, it sounds dismissive. Yes. Is there any concerns about the player if the contract doesn't get done? No. Is there any concern about the player not playing? No. So what you're saying is Kyler Murray has expressed that he wants a new deal. You're not worried about him not having the financial security, how that could potentially affect him and your relationship. No. That was the answer that he gave. Kyler Murray can potentially withhold services. And, CC. we know that's the only recourse players have when they're not getting paid what they want to get paid. You're not worried about it after he's expressed that he wants a contract extension as early as he has in the offseason. No. I don't know that that's going to make Kyler Murray feel like he's being seen by the organization in terms of his desires, his wants, and, and them considering him and them being committed to him. And that's the problem that I have with Steve Kime. These things are delicate when it comes to managing relationships with athletes, especially an athlete that is as important to your team. Quarterback is the most important position in all the team sports. And this is your guy. You got a contract extension along with Cliff Kingsbury through 2027. And the most important decision that you two guys huddled up to make was drafting Kyler Murray. A year after you took Josh Rosen with your first pick. I mean, I got it's questions. Not, it's not sending the right message. No. I guess from a player standpoint, I would be livid. Now, I'm sure the organization didn't like his agent coming out with that statement, but his agent releasing that statement lets me know that his agent didn't like the organization not at least engaging them in negotiation talks. Okay, a couple of things here. Number one, the agent releasing the statement when he did. Keep in mind, they have not legitimately been able to talk about an extension legally, according to all the rules in football, until now, until year three was complete. So we are barely into that, and the agent went nuclear. But the question is, what causes the agent to go nuclear right away? The fact that maybe there was more of that dismissive tone from Steve Keim about the long-term contract. And that bothers me. You're tied to the guy, Steve Keim. You picked him. You told us that he and Kingsbury together... We're our guys for the long term. You just got an extension. He just got an extension. What's the problem with the player? Are you trying to teach him a lesson? What kind of lesson is that? That you don't get what you want by complaining? Let's get to the real world here, okay? You have a franchise quarterback, something that this franchise has not had seemingly ever. And you know the thing, CC, and you brought this up, what kind of message are you trying to send? It might not be a message that he's trying to send to Kyler Murray. It might be a message that he's trying to send to the rest of the locker room. The only problem with that is the other 52 guys in the locker room know that the starting quarterback gets treated differently 
than the other guys on the team. It's just a fact of the NFL world. The owners have made this position more important with the way that they've changed the rules and the way that the game has evolved. The quarterback position is the most valuable position on a football team. Players are aware of that. Players know that quarterbacks can dictate in a way that other guys can't. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is look at quarterbacks that want to force their way out of situations. More often than not, they end up getting what they're looking for. Does he immediately become, let's just argue for a moment, that somehow Kyler Murray became available. Does he immediately become the second-best quarterback available this offseason? CC, I think it depends on what team you're talking about. It depends on where that franchise is. If you're talking about a team like the Indianapolis Colts that's ready to win right now, or the Pittsburgh Steelers, absolutely. Absolutely, I think Kyler Murray is one of those guys that you can look at and say he might be our best option. But I will say this. I would probably lean toward Russell Wilson being a better fit in those places than Kyler Murray. So if I'm making I'm throwing it, Denver in there too. Okay. So if we're throwing Denver in there, we're looking at all three of those teams. Because I think Denver has a longer runway because they need more time and considering the division that they play in, I think Kyler is a better fit there than he is in Indy or in Pittsburgh. I would go with Russell Wilson over Kyler Murray in Indy and Pittsburgh. I would go with Kyler over Russell Wilson in Denver. If you are ready to win right now, I'm going with Russell Wilson. If you're not, I'm going with Kyler Murray. Correct. That's how I, you and I are in lockstep on that. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So the question to you is, should the Cardinals give Kyler Murray that long-term deal? Hit us up on the Canty call-in line at 888 888- Seven two nine three seven seven six. It's Chris Carlin and Chris Canty on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Up next, with uncertainty surrounding the availability of Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, how much added pressure is on Kevin Durant? Plus, when is Durant playing? We have an answer to that next on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. I've heard so much about people who have said that the Nets won the trade with James Harden and Ben Simmons, ultimately, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not buying it? No. <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. Not until I see actually, you know, Ben Simmons on the court. We could talk about that. But Kevin Durant, we will see on the court tomorrow night for that and more NBA. It is Chris Carlin, Chris Canty, joined right now. By the co-host of Jalen and Jacoby, David Jacoby. Oh, it's good to talk to you. We had Mike and Mike, Jalen and Jacoby, Chris and Chris. Alliteration is what begets success in the radio business. <laughs> Your lips to God's ears, my friend. <laughs> well, we're just talking about, we'll get to LeBron and the Lakers. Actually, let's start there because we're just talking about, you know, you have a night like last night where LeBron can do all the offensive uh, great things that he can do, yet on the other end of the floor, he just doesn't have it nearly as much. You know, when you look at the Lakers and how they're presently constituted, we know that they're going to have difficulty getting home, but Jay, uh, Jacoby, can you actually believe that LeBron has enough in the tank to carry this team, at least to the play-in round? I picked the Lakers before the season started, and throughout the ups and downs, mainly downs, let's be honest, I always said, but what if they're all healthy? I see them figuring this out. This is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work up until about three weeks ago. And it doesn't feel like it's going to work at all, whether AD comes back or not. It just doesn't fit. And right now, currently, as you said, as they're currently constructed, 
they're asking so much of LeBron, as we saw in that game against the Mavericks. Like, he's playing center. He's carrying the ball up. He ends up guarding Luka a ton, and, you know, Luka's a handful. It's just he just can't do it all himself, and I don't believe with AD back, with everyone full strength, with their positioning, the way they're going to have to go through the number one or the number two seed, and then who sees, who knows who they face from there. There's no chance, no chance this year. Jacoby, you're just confirming everything that I already know as a Lakers fan, and it breaks my heart that that's where we're at, but it feels like we're done with winning championships with LeBron James. I get it. We got one out of the deal, but I feel like this is a situation where now we're going to be talking about what the future for L.A. holds. But moving it on, to the Brooklyn Nets. This is a team that's 1-3 and three since the All-Star break, and the one game that they did win was the game that Kyrie Irving was actually playing in. That was in Milwaukee. Impressive performance by Kyrie, but still a part-time player, and based on all the information we got coming out of New York from their mayor, doesn't sound like we're going the verge of him being a full-time player anytime soon. We don't know when we're going to see Ben Simmons, so I got to ask you, how much pressure does this put now on Kevin Durant when he's returning from that knee injury? Well, we've, we've seen Kevin Durant um, bounce back from injury before. Obviously, I'm not talking about the finals, but in, in other times, after the Achilles injury and previous knee injuries, he's, he's kind of been good early, and we're, hopefully that can happen. But I always call the Brooklyn Nets the Brooklyn NFTs because, <laughs> like, everyone else tells me they have value, but I haven't seen it, and I can't touch it. <laughs> you know, so it's like, to, to me, it's like you take the Nets logo and take that one line off the E, and they become who they truly are which is the Brooklyn NFT. Like, they, it could be the next thing. It could be, it could be the future. It could be what we're all going to be bowing down at the altar of, but it's just not happening now. I need to see it, especially with Benson. David Jacoby, co-host Jalen Jacoby with Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. How long before John Morant is the best player in the league if he's not already? Oh, God. Uh, he's not already. But um, the leap from last year to this year – is you know it's amazing and he is my favorite player to watch in the nba i hunt him on league pass and he's so exciting and the way that that team gets behind him and one of the things i love so much about that 52 point performance is the way they all took a picture together at the end kind of like a like a like a defensive team in football taking a picture in the end zone like it just it just made me happy to see how this young team this young core is being led by him. And if you were to ask me before the season started, could he be the best player on a championship team? I would have said no. Right now, I absolutely believe he could be with a little bit more help. DJ, we got James Harden making his debut at home in Philly. Now, they're playing against the New York Knicks, and we saw how that went in the Garden on Sunday. And in the first couple of games, it's been, you know, all all sunshine and roses when it comes to James Harden and Joel Embiid. What are you expecting long-term with the Sixers team this season? Well, I mean, it's been a really nice couple matchups for them. You know, uh, the Timberwolves, who are pretty good this year, and, uh, you know, and then we have the Knicks. And to get, to, to get the Knicks twice is just amazing because it's kind of you can, you, can you can ramp up James Harden and Joel Embiid and get a couple wins underneath your belt. But when they start playing more uh, tougher competition later, uh, that's when we'll really find out who they are. But right now it's all roses, and, you know, they're already walking them right into the finals. But – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on a little bit after two games and, and wait until after 10 before I really sort of analyze and, and figure out what this team is because who knows how it's going to fit. David Jacoby of Jalen Jacoby joining Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. Okay, here's a hypothetical for you. I don't know that anybody in the game today could do it. It's the anniversary of Wilt scoring 100. If there was, and, and coincidentally against the Knicks, you know, of course, 
so if anybody in the league today was capable of doing it or even coming somewhat close, who would you take? Uh, I don't think it would happen to, to sort of address the hypothetical. I don't yeah. think it would happen because the defense at some point would have to call a timeout and be like, there's no way we're going to be the team that gets scored 100 on in the, in the 2020s. So Agreed. But I don't think it's happening highway, either, but who's got the best yeah. shot of giving it a run? One name, one name came to mind, and that was Steph Curry. Because he's quick enough, he can move around. Like even if the defensive keys on him, he could pass. He cuts away without the ball, and he doesn't need any time to get a shot off. And he could do it while he's moving. He could do it up off the dribble. He can get past you. He can split double teams. Like he to me is the only player in the league, the only one that I can see doing this. Awesome stuff, David. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks for popping on. For oh a few. man, thank you guys for having me on. It's an honor. There we go, Jalen and Jacoby. David Jacoby joining us on ESPN Radio. Chris Carlin, Chris Canty. Up next, we just mentioned Wilt. Who would you take as the player with the single best opportunity of scoring 100 in a game? If anybody could even remotely come close. Even even Kobe 81. (laughs) Even that. Who would you take? I don't necessarily agree with Jacoby. I don't know if Chris does. We'll find out in moments. That and two places that were possible to Sean Watson landing spots that are definitively not now. We'll tell you what they are next on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Chris Carlin, I am Chris Kenny, and this is ESPN Radio, also on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Got to give a shout-out to the guests that came through on today's show. We had USA Today MLB columnist Bob Nightingale giving us the latest on Major League Baseball's lockout and the cancellation of the first two series of the regular season. Also, Pro Bowl linebacker K.J. Wright giving us the latest on his status as an impending free agent, as well as, well as the landscape when it comes to quarterbacks in the National Football League and what he expects to see this offseason. ESPN NFL front office insider Mike Tannenbaum, of course, chiming in on the Kyler Murray situation as well as Aaron Rodgers. And then we had David Jacoby from Jalen and Jacoby getting us up to speed on the NBA and, of course, James Harden making his home debut in Philly. If you missed any of it, go to the ESPN Radio podcast, download, rate, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. But, Chris Carlin, we have now reached the portion of our show where it's time for us to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is Three and Out. And Three and Out is brought to you by Indeed. Spring into hiring at Indeed.com slash credit. And CC, the only place to begin with Three and Out is at the NFL Combine. And we know this is essentially the NFL's equivalent of the winter meetings with Major League Baseball. This is where a lot of business gets done, and it's not just about the guys going through the underwear Olympics on the field. It's about deals getting done ahead of free agency and then figuring out the landscape when it comes to who's willing to trade who as we move through the offseason. And so we just found out from Miami Dolphins general manager Chris Greer that the team is out on trading for Deshaun Watson, and Lovey Smith, the Texans' new coach, 
is waiting for a resolution with their franchise quarterback. We also heard from Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, and saying that Jalen Hurts is their starting quarterback without a doubt. So are these two teams making the right decisions with sticking by these young signal callers? The Eagles, yes. The Dolphins, no. The Eagles, Jalen Hurts can play. They have three first-round picks. They can do a lot of things to help him. That team can get better quickly. And I don't want to use the word waste, but I feel like when you're taking on all that money and you're giving up three first-round picks plus for a guy like Deshaun Watson, you are really paying a premium, and we don't know everything else that's going involved there. The Dolphins, you're not winning with Tua. I'm sorry. You put Deshaun Watson on the Dolphins to me. They are absolutely a contender in the AFC. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're going to have to have a quarterback to win in that division, given the landscape of it. Knowing that you got Josh Allen and then Mac Jones, say what you want about him, ended up making the Pro Bowl as a rookie. You need somebody that can be a force multiplier in that way. And I just don't think two is that guy. Jalen Hurts, we'll see what ends up happening. The one thing I will say about it, that's a solid roster. And the holes that they have to fill on the defensive side of the ball, they got a ton of draft capital to do it with. And they found an identity on offense with having a run game and the quarterback being a key element of that. So I like what Nick Sirianni's doing. And why not give Jalen Hurts another full season as a starter, see what he can do. And if, you, and if he proves not to be the guy, then guess what? You got an opportunity in the 2023 NFL draft to go out and get one of those young quarterbacks that's coming out. And when it's a better quarterback draft next year, because it is not a good one this year. There it is. Moving along, the New York Liberty are fined $500,000 by the WNBA for chartering flights. Now, Carlin, you're going to have to help me out with this one. The fines for chartered flights to away games during the second half of the WNBA season and other violations of league rules, including an unsanctioned trip to Napa, California, a source confirmed. Owners Joe Sy and his wife Clara bought the flights. Sy has publicly campaigned for better travel accommodations for WNBA players. Now, this strikes me as a fine that Joe Sy doesn't mind paying because it seems like it's a passion of his and trying to, yeah, I guess, argue or advocate for equal treatment when it comes to professional athletes in the NBA and the WNBA. And we understand the disparity when it comes to the WNBA and the resources that they have in comparison to the NBA. But Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, as well as the New York Liberty, he's having none of that. And he's saying, why not have my athletes travel the way that my NBA team does. It just doesn't make sense to him. And so I think that's why he has no problem paying the fine. But in looking at the big picture of this, why is the WNBA finding an owner for advocating for equal treatment of his athletes? Because it's embarrassing the other owners in the league because they didn't want to pay for chartered flights for WNBA players. And so they have it in their collective bargaining agreement that we don't have to pay for chartered flights. But because Joe Sy does it, now that's a competitive advantage. I'm with you. I mean, uh, you know, to me, this is like when Mark Cuban used to get criticized for having, you know, the absolute best in terms of everything and workout equipment and, and locker rooms and all that stuff. No, 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 no. I want my players to get great treatment and I want them to want to be here. That's part of it. I'm sorry. That's, that is just the other owners not wanting to spend that money because maybe it's not as profitable for them well figure it out dude figure it out yeah one other thing that needs to be figured out while we're talking about professional sports is the nfl and this taunting rule that was a point of emphasis 
this past season. Now, this according to Troy Vincent, we have to stand on sportsmanship. That was universally in agreement, but there are areas we need to clean up. Of course, the NFL decision makers in 2021 decided to set a new standard for taunting penalties, and that should largely remain in place moving forward. Here's where I'm at with this, CC. I understand that you want to set a standard for the lower levels of sports, the kids in college, the kids in high school that are paying attention to NFL players. But at some point, it, it starts to affect the entertainment product. And for a league that's trying to market the personality of the players, that's one of those things that I just can't get down with, with the NFL coming down as hard as they did on the sportsmanship rule with the taunting penalty. With as many horrible calls as I saw in it this year, I'm still waiting for the flag on Tyreek Hill. Still oh, with, with the peace sign? Yep. In the Still playoff game? Seen it. If that's yeah. not taunting, I don't know what is. Well, exactly. It's so yeah. subjective and you can't pick and choose. You have to apply it equally along all the lines with all the players in all the situations. All right. We got to celebrate a special anniversary today in history. Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points against the New York Knicks 60 years ago. CC, which current player has the best shot of scoring 100 in a game? Nobody's going to score 100. Durant could actually come the closest. I get Curry. Durant can do too many things with the ball and is unguardable. I'm going with John Durant. It's going to happen this season on the pace he's on. 46 and then 52. <laughs> it's going to happen. He's bound to happen. Coming up next, what's bound to happen? Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio.